Welcome back to the Summer Podcast, now named The Renaissance and Our Times. Hope you're having a great day. My name is Richard Emerson, and I will be your host today. And we come now to August the 14th, and we're going to talk today about a really great video that we've been watching uh, this week from between Tom L.A. Books and Father Paul Pearson about Dante, the Divine Comedy, and uh, Father Paul Pearson has written two books that Tom in LA, who is also a friend, <laughs> uh, and he is making this wonderful series, like 100 episodes on Dante's comedy. He's currently at Purgatory 15. He is Italian. He grew up in Italy, Trento, and then he's been in uh, England for 10 years, and now he's living in California, in LA. And um, he's making these 30, 40 minute episodes about the Divine Comedy, and it's uh, full of very interesting uh, information, context, interpretation, and also with this truly Italian kind of <laughs> passion and enthusiasm for Dante. So um, we're going to put all these links in the description. So that is like Tom in LA's channel. And then um, Father Pearson has written two books that they are called Spiritual Direction from Dante, Avoiding the Inferno, which is the first one. And the second one is called um, Spiritual Direction from Dante, Ascending Mount Purgatory. And the third one is coming this fall. So we just wanted to um, make a little plug for that, for that video. And then we have a long list there of very interesting points during the talks. So we're going to go through the whole list. Um, but just overall, it's really uh, an inspiring conversation to, to watch. And it goes well into kind of, it could be like a, a little portal into this ongoing series that Tom is making, which is, again, highly recommended. So... Uh, if we just start from on our list from the beginning here, they they have so many great points. So, but it opens with a very general question: How to read Dante? Uh, which is a great question, especially because it's full of symbolism, allegory. It's also written in poetry, and it's hard to get a grasp on what the story really is about in the beginning if one is not used to reading allegorically. This is a part of getting to know the Divine Comedy. It's also, in part, would be to learn how to read allegorically. And the thing with this is that in order to have an effect from, from allegory and symbolism, to some extent, there has to be some kind of reception apparatus in you. There has to be some kind of a reference background that you, that the symbolism touches. And if you don't, if there's nothing, if you're not used to this, then there might be less of that ability to, to connect with or understand or have an experience of the symbolism. So this takes a while when you read Dante, but this, this is also a huge gift just like increasingly grows and grows in you the more you read it and you read up on the references in the comedy, like all the mythology, uh, also some of the philosophy, the theology, some of the history. There will be a kind of just like a more and more rich understanding of what he's doing and it becomes this, kind of this mosaic that just keeps being more and more nuanced and beautiful and sparkling, the better you know the work. But there's also this way of uh, not only seeing the story as a story, but getting used to just relating to the people being symbols for reason or for 
theology, for divine mysteries, for virtues, and then just see how they are playing kind of the dynamics between different vices and virtues or between the spiritual and the rational. Like, see, it, it takes a while, again, just to get used to it. But it's a nice journey in itself. And Dante's beauty and also philosophical, analytical, rational insights are kind of great helpers on the way to just making this grow. And this is also a part of the message in the comedy that the pilgrim is going through is that that he gets tired he also faints a lot in the beginning because of like the horrors in inferno but uh but he thinks also like in purgatory it's constantly like oh it's so so tiring to climb and he wonders how far like is it far left and this is this reminder that this process is it's hard in the beginning but it gets easier and easier and that goes both for understanding the comedy and also to kind of internalize what his this message is and kind of how this whole idea of of um, of changing your view on things and learning more and get a more nuanced understanding of yourself and the world. Okay, so that was the first point. Second point we have, uh, they talk about reading out loud, which is just like a great point. There is something about the feeling of reading, especially an edition like Mark Musa, the Penguin version, it's really nice to read out loud because it's the beautiful it's beautiful poetry and it has the spirit and the energy and the the bright brightness and emotion of Dante. So it's it's just something basic that it's almost like just feeling the sound vibrate in your body in itself has a has a strong effect and filling the room with kind of the air vibrations with the words is is an important <laughs> part of experiencing the poetry and and it's uh, also a joyful reminder that like we can put away all this this new modern stuff we have around and just be in a room maybe with just a li- like a low lighting and just read out some words with a full voice and then you will might sense a very different feeling from the work and it could also connect you more to someone 700 years ago who was sitting maybe by his desk and writing these words. So there's a, sometimes you get this sense of kind of shortcutting through centuries to, to the ideas and to the, the person who wrote, them, wrote it himself. Okay, number three was, uh, what can Dante say spiritually? Because something, sometimes it's not acknowledged maybe enough that there's a huge spiritual part of Dante for him that will be in some sense uh, the main point or at least a very important point is the the spiritual learning uh, we just want to say one thing about this which is like if just one thing to know about this is the whole idea of having in a sense a dual experience of the world continuously this happens kind of it, it kind of blows <laughs> blows up this twin twin way of apprehending in Paradiso with the moon, which is first incomprehensible because he, he, he's dragged into the moon as a body within a body. But then there's also a way of creating a slight confusion to acknowledge that you can, you can see the material world around you and see this of the spiritual dimension of the reality at the same time and you see that they are uh, 
connected, in, but they are of different natures, but they are connected. You, if you see, you can see uh, things like friendship or knowledge or, <laughs> or uh, virtues and vices as, as ideas play out in the material in front of you all the time. So then you can kind of see both of it and then that would be a suggestion for Dante that this is something we could train up and he has this idea that it can kind of that um, truth of of seeing this is kind of sparkling like a star within you when you when you realize this and when you can you can train yourself and then it will be kind of suddenly natural and then you will just have a fuller and richer way of experiencing the world so that was a spiritual point next one uh, read the books slowly that was a great point that they made and they said something about spiritual reading as well. Um, just as an example, so we've been through the books many times, but the, the last time we read Purgatory, we just read maybe just one tercet in a day or maybe like a quarter of a page or half a page. And the idea was just like you read until you find something that hits you. And when that happens, you just stop because then you have you have some nutrition. It it's kind of it hit something in you it resonated stimulated something then you can just stop and then you can just let that sink in and you can reflect on it and digest it uh, like we had now the other day was just reading in purgatory they climb up a little bit they sit on the ledge and then dante says he looks back at what they what they've already uh, climbed and, and walked from the beach and he says sometimes it's good for the heart to kind of look at what you have accomplished. And that was just a really nice idea that then we just stopped and just pondered that and had all these memories about this. Sometimes in a small or big scale in life, you can just come to a place where you just rest and you can just kind of uh, reflect on or or ponder or, or just uh, take in kind of what you've been through and, and look at it with a joyful feeling. So reading it slowly is very important, especially not rushing through it. And it's a bit like if you start reading and then you just keep reading and you have these kind of huge light bulb moments, <laughs> if you have five of those in a row, it could kind of just drown it themselves out. So just stop when you have something and then leave it for that day, for example. Okay, then um, next month, one month from now, September 13th or 14th, will be the the date for the anniversary of 700 years since Dante's passing. So that's something to just keep in mind. The 13th or 14th of September, that's kind of the big date for this anniversary. Uh, then we had uh, a concern about graduates reading Dante only in a secular perspective, in a secular way. So this is... Um, there's there's a lot to say about this. In general, you could say something like this, that reading Inferno is much more accessible for everyone. It's much more fun. It's more dramatic. It's more spectacular. And there's much more like a story to it. So you can read it just like this, this uh, kind of goth-like uh, <laughs> descent into the this uh, uh, brutal underworld with, with all the monsters and all this. All these... Uh, examples of the sins and 
but you can just read it as a story. The second and third book are more and more complicated to read as stories without uh, being aware of more the theological dimension, uh, which was much more connected with philosophy and the material in this medieval thinking. So that there is a kind of like a separate learning again to to not only the symbolic and allegorical, but also a little bit this how the medieval people viewed more like the material and the, and the spiritual as like a unity. And um, it's just a, a different way to relate to this. So this is a very big topic, but there is something, if you spend some time with Dante, you would start seeing that. Also, like the commentaries, also the scholarship on the Divine Comedy uh is increasingly missing important points when you go through the second and third book uh, compared to if you read, uh, for example, Italian Catholic scholars because they also know the Catholic tradition and the Catholic theology and they can also explain also then in secular terms what it means. So there's a, there are big things missing if you only read it through secular eyes. But it's still a good start and you have all the philosophy and you have all the mythology. So that's also a, still like a good thing. Okay, so um, then they has talked about uh, the time Dante is spending on the terraces. This is like a short point, but it's a fun one. That Dante is very personal in purgatory when it comes to how he is um, relating to the seven different terraces especially the three ones that are his own personal uh, vices, which is then, first of all, pride, as he says again and again and again through the whole work. Uh, then is also wrath and is also lust. Uh, and also, in a, with a bit of a humor, he says that envy, which is the second worst one, is not a problem for him <laughs> because he, as he says in the book, he's, he's not very often having the sensation of envy towards anybody, which just underlines his pride. Uh, but but it's, a, it's a point there that like Dante is getting personal to some extent in this, um, in this climb of the mountain. And that goes into the next point, that why some people have a bit of uh, resistance or are hesitant or struggle with reading comedy might be something connected to this, which is that the story in itself could spur some kind of introspection into yourself. And that could be not always super pleasant. So there could be some natural and kind of just like by instinct, some defenses against this. And on that point, it's just like one basic uh, thing that might help could be just like do it slowly. Uh, this is a a general point a little bit on the side, but like changing as a person, especially changing in the deep, changing in the values, the virtues, um, something more fundamental in yourself or in your psyche uh, could be a lot of work. It could also be stressful, but timing is super important. If you do it slowly, it could be a pleasant change, even if it's something you might encounter some things you have to fix. So just uh, not pushing it, taking it slowly, kind of <laughs> trying to change like 1% uh, per month, 2% per month, and not kind of having this total ripping up everything and then start over. So there's a, there's a very 
calming and comforting way of doing it by just taking it slow. Give yourself time. If you meet or you, you kind of you, you, you feel that there's something that, that touches you too strongly in the way he's talking about kind of the moral part of it. Okay, so um, this is going to be a long episode. <laughs> we have, we're almost half through the list. So uh, they talked about modern psychology. There was just like the, um, the author had a friend who's a psychologist who had read Dante and was very interested in the fact that the suicides who like in Inferno can only com- communicate through their bleeding. And this psychologist had then understood that that this is a this is a metaphor that people who are suicides communicate through their suffering. That is the way they are communicating. And then metaphorically here is through their bleeding. So it was just an example that um, like a, a person now was kind of in disbelief that Dante could have this kind of psychological insight 700 years ago. But the more you read Dante, the more you will see this everywhere. That it's almost like it's a very contemporary kind of modern person who is uh, describing dynamics of psychology. Uh, And just a little bit on the side, like the first, perhaps the first hook into the comedy for for me as a person was just reading the first Tercet when he's lost in a dark wood because it's so emotional. It's just, it, it kind of tugged into a very basic emotion of being lost in life and not knowing the way. And I just thought that this, this starting a work with that image and with that feeling is just a genius of psychological insight. So that was kind of how it started, like in the early 20s for me to have the first interest in it. Okay, and then uh, they went on to talk about sin. So there's an interesting thing with the third dream, the last dream he has him on uh, climbing on Mount Purgatory, which is this uh, siren, which is kind of an old hag that is, uh, she appears or she transforms into this uh, siren uh, through the gaze of the pilgrim. So it's a it's a it's an incredible way of describing how. It's the pilgrim who is projecting this this uh, beauty and temptation as a siren into this old hag, which is symbolizing sin in itself. And this is uh, it's one of one of the biggest metaphors for the whole work: how we are attracted to things because we project things in it that are not there. So just like something to be aware of. There's also a little. Uh, there's a small thing in that scene as well because Virgil, as reason, is the one who uh, who rips apart the illusion of the siren. But there's also a little thing that there's a saintly figure in the picture that Virgil has to look at while he breaks down the illusion. So there's a another incredibly deep psychological insight that reason in itself might not be able to to see through or to break break the illusion there has to be some other value or idea that uh, makes this clear and then reason can do its job okay and then they keep talking about the, the hero life and the afterlife in Dante this is interesting as well 
Because many people think Dante's comedy is just about the afterlife, like what happens after death. If you come to, if you go to heaven or you go to inferno or, or first everyone, if you go to heaven, you everyone has to go through purgatory. But some people can just go straight up the mountain, while almost everybody has to spend some time on one or many of the terraces. Uh, but it, uh, it's just this point that. It's as much about the here life, and Dante is explicit about this in his letters to his uh, his patron, Can Grande della Scala in Verona, that it's about bringing people like living now from the state of misery to the state of felicità, to happiness. That is the, the there are many purposes and there are many meanings of the work as Dante describes it, but one of them is very concrete about that this is is supposed to help people now to get a better life uh, and then also there's one quote there from the from uh, father paul in the talk when he's he says that there's a point there that uh, the afterlife is kind of a projection of the hair life like the the vices in the hair life if you project it into eternity or into the afterlife that's kind of how it looks in inferno or in in the heavens in paradiso Okay, and then um, some smaller point here towards the end. Uh, Dante as a prophet. So one of the main or most famous Dante scholars in Italy is called Natalino Sapegna. Uh, he's also then kind of a nightmare for, for Italians because they are forced to spend three years in high school with the comedy. And then this Sapegna person becomes kind of this book that they are... <laughs> they are uh, getting a little bit too much of uh, maybe for many so um, but he talks about like Dante being a prophet this is a very interesting thought um, it's not that explored maybe but there is something prophetic about what Dante writes around 1300 both in the way that he is he is criticizing like ferociously the church as an institution but he wants to fix it he also has he has lots of suggestions for how you can create a, a, a more healthy church and also kind of how to get the shepherd back to being a good shepherd from, from the bad one, especially like Boniface, who is seen as one of the worst popes in, in the history of, of the church. So he's the one who famously had this decree that every, every human being on the planet was under the authority of the, of the Catholic Roman church so that's kind of the pinnacle of this new papacy after the schism in 1054 with pope boniface the eighth when it kind of completely had gone off the rails and they had tried to rebuild the city-state of rome as as a church and and uh, they had gone and strayed so far away from being this shepherd for the spiritual life and also from the the values the virtues of the scripture in itself so Dante is is criticizing all of this but he's also uh, in some ways he is uniting what we would see today much like the Catholic and the Orthodox theology into one kind of uh, it's like harmonious unified theology in in many aspects uh, especially like they have the Eastern elements of of um, theosis like the end of of the comedy is to experience this 
this um, you can say like a meditative spiritual ecstasy but it's also like a, a unity with the divine as kind of the main goal of the whole journey um, and you also have in in general the idea of unity is is very much kind of an, a strong idea in the eastern um, eastern church so there are still many things here to look into also because he writes this in the 13 like 13 from 138 to 1321 and things went after him they went a little bit differently than maybe than what Dante would have thought uh, as one thing and we're going to get back to this partly in the next episode as well but Dante is very concerned about the dignity of the individual as a divine project so he's by some seen as kind of a first renaissance figure in that sense because he he is very he's kind of he cherishes the individual like the, the human person uh, in this uh, unified theology and in kind of embedded in the divine, which is something that the humanists are moving away from, like just 50, 100 years later, even if they keep some of the idea of, or they, they elevate the human individual even more. But they still, in the beginning, they keep uh, they keep this within the frame of something divine. But then, very quickly, it just becomes this glorification of the human being as the center of everything. They were, in the beginning, they have described the center of the world, which is created by the divine. But uh, then it, it kind of slides into just being the center of everything, and there is nothing beyond it. So that's. Uh, that's a big topic for another day, but it's it's something that com- goes into, like Dante wrote this in about 1310, 1320, and then you get this humanism about 100 years later that that goes in a different direction and kind of forgets the whole crucial idea of Dante about humility, <laughs> which is the main, maybe the main point of the second book and also like the, the key and the crucial element of learning in itself is to acknowledge that you have limitations, there are things beyond you, and there are also mysteries beyond our understanding. Okay, so, um, last now, just a couple of points left. It's almost half an hour already. <laughs> um, it's fun to, they mentioned that you have pagans in paradise, in the heavens, in Dante's comedy, which is, uh, which some people still find a little bit weird. Dante himself is making a point when he gets there. The pilgrim is very, very kind of confused. Like, why why do you have pagan figures up here in paradise? Have they been saved? Did that did they get salvation? And um, at least in one sphere, when you have the this divine eagle, the divine justice, it just replies to him in some sense, just tells him to be quiet. <laughs> this this is something you will not understand is a is a is done in a very humorous way but but still Dante gets his point through as a writer by just putting them there and then makes this little scene to make it a little bit uh, kind of accept, acceptable for his times in some sense so um yeah there are so many points uh, also that we didn't put on the list um they ended up talking about the third book of paradiso since um, Paul Pearson is going to write, or he has written it. He wanted it to be published before the anniversary in one month, but it doesn't look like that's going to happen, but it's going to come this fall. He just had some thoughts about writing 
uh, about Paradiso and kind of writing this commentary introduction, uh, spiritual direction, uh, which is that Paradiso is less visual, it has less of a story, which is very true. It's it's a much harder book to start to get to know, in part because it's it's very high-level theology and it requires quite a bit of reading up on the contemplatives, the monasticism in the 11 and 1200s to, to understand what these all the different figures uh, represent and uh, their writings, their work, and how he kind of blending this all together. For example, with the sun, we had these 24 wise people who are kind of knowledge, they're kind of the illuminating knowledge. They are the one who's closest to understand how uh, how he breathes and how he begets. And then you have these two circles with uh, Aquinas is in one of them, Saint Bonaventure is in the other. And then knowing that this is like like. Aquinas is very much the rational philosopher, as a Telian theologian. Bonaventure is much more like a spiritual one, who's like meditation, uh, contemplation, ascending into like higher spiritual levels, and also this spiritual uh, unity and kind of this uh, ecstasy uh, experience again. But like how those two are blended together with Dante is also something that requires some background knowledge or reading up. Uh, so, but it's going to be interesting to see when the book, third book comes out. Okay, so that was about half an hour. <laughs> if you made it so far, uh, thank you so much. Hope so. This is interesting, illuminating and inspiring to read Dante. Um, we're going to keep continue. So next episode, uh, within a few days, is going to be uh, partly about something we touched upon, which is the later uh, humanism and... and um, uh, Manetti, uh, Mirandola, and also Pope Innocent III, and how things changed with the Renaissance and humanism. Uh, and we're going to base this upon uh, an episode by historian John John Strickland, who is coming also with a book this fall in November about the period from the 1500s to the 1900s. So uh, that will be in the next episode. And um, again, we have all the information in the description. So Hope some of this was interesting. Hope you're still having a great day. And as always, thank you so much for listening and see you again in the next episode.